The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. Today's guest started working in the tech sector 20 years ago, before many people knew New Zealand even had one. Coming from investment banking, first she founded Morell & Co, an investment company to work with technology companies, and then Number 8 Ventures, the first US-style venture capital fund here. And on the side, our guest founded Morgo, a high-energy retreat and recharge for CEOs building tech or high-growth companies going global from New Zealand or Australia. To chat the journey, the industry today, and her experience, Jenny Morell joins us now. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Simon. Hey, so tell me first up, what led you to start Morell & Co? And then, uh, not long after Number 8 Ventures, what, what was the state of the local tech scene then? Well, I guess, first of all, you know, my background was in investment banking in the UK and in New Zealand. Uh, and for a while before I started Morell & Co, I'd been sort of like doing cor- freelance corporate finance and also had a number of company directorships, which sort of comes into the story later, I guess. And I decided I wanted to start my own business and not just sell my hours. The only thing I knew about was investment banking, so I started a small investment bank. Uh, And in the meantime, I'd fallen in love with technology. And initially, that was actually biotechnology through having been on the board of AgResearch, you know, the largest crown research institute in New Zealand. And I thought, wouldn't it be fantastic to to help some of these biotech spin-outs, you know, get going? I soon found that actually it was a very small biotech market in New Zealand. But the characteristics of biotech companies kind of shared by other tech companies. They're based on IP. IP crosses boundaries really easily. So if you're not going to do it here, it'll be picked up somewhere else in the world. Uh, They can scale very, very fast, but they need money to do that. And the money is very hard to raise because they have intellectual property, which is intangible. So all of these, these characteristics were, well, why stop at biotech? And then really our market research before starting, or my market research before starting Morell & Co. was anecdotal. You know, as a friend saying um, from a multinational, I wanted to buy this company and they couldn't get an advisor, you know, so the negotiations were kind of difficult. And I'm thinking, oh, really? No advisor for the tech company that's getting bought? That's wrong. (laughs) And, uh, you know, there was really just anecdotal. And so I thought it would be fun. I did not have great market research. I just thought it would be fun. And I thought I would hire one other person to do it with me initially. But instead, I found a good senior deal doer and a really good junior guy. So we set out out with three executives and one support person. 
And we had a lot of fun. I mean, it was amazing. We started building then a database of the New Zealand technology company, sorry, the New Zealand technology industry. And at the end of the first year, we had 600 companies on that database. Wow, we never knew. We didn't know there were that many companies out there. We were just finding them. And and a lot of them were small and just local. Um, But we started doing studies of different sectors like knowledge management companies back then. That's when I met Catherine Corrich of Sistock, who was building one of those. Uh, yeah, so it was that was sort of fascinating. And we were we were trying for completeness. You know, we wanted to get every company into this database. We had to give up that idea. At the end of the second year, we had 2,000 companies on the database. So then we were just excited, you know, that they, they keep on coming. That, that's remarkable. And, and how soon into kind of that journey of working with those companies – was the need for capital and uh, the kind of capital that understood the timelines and the investing ahead of uh, revenue and the difficulty of tech companies or, or agri- research or research companies needing to have patents in the work? Like, was there kind of the capital market and the, the support around for No, like a, and there still isn't. Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously it's improved enormously. Um when we set out with Number 8 with Morell & Co, I said that we weren't going to have a venture capital fund. And actually at the same time, Caltech was starting a small fund and I gave them an investment, actually, thinking this was good. You know, we'd have an ecosystem of doing all sorts of things. And in that first year of Morell & Co, we raised money for three companies, but it's horrible business, this raising money. You know, we're putting our friends into these young companies and... Uh, and you, you learn very quickly that all the investors need a portfolio. So you love each one when you invest in it, but not each all of them are going to succeed. So the investors should always have a portfolio. The companies all wanted help as much as they wanted money. So my senior deal doer got 20% of his time sucked out the first year in free advice for one company. And that's like, it's an interesting staff training exercise, but it's not a viable business model. So we're like, no, we're not going to do this. We did, we actually made money by selling companies mostly, but we also did some company restructurings and we designed the first, you know, kind of US style employee option scheme in New Zealand and help people implement that, help people streamline, you know, what they were doing. And we helped major negotiations. We did other things apart from the, the capital raising. Um, but it was really one year later, I was lying on the beach in January. I had a friend from the US who actually is very relevant to the story, Don Campbell, who then was running something called um, Hamburg and Quist Guarantee Finance, kind of venture lending. And Don had said, Jenny, you got to get yourself a fund. So in January, I go, Don was right. <laughs> We've got to do a fund. And, and really to get these things right, that the investors had a portfolio you were actually being paid something to get involved and give advice to the companies within the structure. And also you had access to follow-on funding because every time a company wanted to raise more money, it's a kind of a six-month stop-the-company event. So we wanted to to fix some of those things. And that was the beginning of Number 8 Ventures. And even today, you know, like uh, after the whole kind of um – uh, venture capital and uh, funded company thing has become mythologized and this whole uh, investing in head of growth is, is so well understood. People still ask questions like, why aren't these companies profitable? And what are you doing investing in unprofitable companies? How, how much education was there in 
uh, the beginning, trying to get people behind you uh, and try to get kind of um, the companies to operate the right way. Actually, I thought the most interesting word you said then was mythology. Uh, And there still is a lot of mythology in New Zealand about what venture capital is. It's amazing how many experts there are in venture capital compared with how little venture capital there is in New Zealand. (laughs) And (laughs) so that's that's a real mismatch. But but going back to when we we were starting, started Moral & Co, or then when I started the venture fund, yeah, there was... Really, there was an incomplete lack of awareness about the tech sector in New Zealand. Even more irritatingly, people would talk about how we ought to build one. And I would say, but it's there. Go help it. You know, and I, that, that's something that really annoys me. I like to back people who are already underway doing something. And the people who talk about what ought to be should do the same. They should get in and work with people who are doing it, not think about create. I mean, if they want to create something new, create something new, but do it. You know, do it, don't talk about it. And and I very much saw our role in both those companies as getting behind the people who are already doing. But I can remember, it must have been when I was setting up Number 8 Ventures, talking to Wellington Rotary about the New Zealand tech sector. They thought I was very sweet. They were sort of cute. I don't feel cute at all, incidentally. But they were they all these, you know, sort of grins on their face. And, then, and then, you know, so this is something that happens in garages. And I, I have nothing against garages. Some of the greatest companies have come out of garages. So Hewlett Packard, Apple, there's a great history of garages. <laughs> uh, but really, we were talking past each other. There was no point of connection. I remember that feeling very strongly, just thinking I'm trying really hard to communicate. And they just, because they, they come from a place where they don't think it exists. And, and technology for people in New Zealand was something that you got from overseas and used, not something you created here. Uh, there were people creating it. Right? They, were, they were isolated. How did you go about getting the funds to to support these companies? And I mean, one of the one of the kind of um, what seems to be one of the truisms of, of uh, capital is there's always more needed as well. Well, it's always very, very hard to raise money. And it's, it's hard for companies and it's also hard for venture capital funds and they should understand that. And anybody who's gone through that fundraising journey, and I've talked to a lot of them, I mean, sure, you can get lucky, but, you know, it, it takes a good six months and you will get a lot of rejections and you need kind of rhinoceros hide. But what, what – and it's a lot of it is through – well, I think sort of high quality networking, you know, networking with intent. So I'm very keen on the what networking can do for you. But I don't mean just going to parties. <laughs> I mean I mean doing it in some deliberative sort of manner. And going back to when I started Number 8 Ventures, well, first of all, you know, I emailed this guy, Don, this American, uh, and, and said, hey, Don, you were right. I need a fund. And he was – his background was that he'd built – he and a, a partner – Dan Case, had built a venture lending business, which got bought by Hambrett and Quist, which was then the investment bank in Silicon Valley. It's now part of J.P. Morgan. And his business partner, Dan, ended up as CEO of Hambrett and Quist. The relevance of this is that his old, his old partner, Dan, sorry, Don, my friend, um, got to invest Hambrett and Quist's capital. And one of the things that he decided to invest in was New Zealand forests, right? It's a very odd segue, right? And uh, and he set up a, an investment trust in London to invest in New Zealand. So Don was spending a bit of time in New Zealand, which is how I met him. And he, anyway, so he, he then said to me, this is great, you're going to do a fund. He said, uh, how would you like to do a joint venture with Hamrit and Quist? And it was just extraordinary because it was like the name, right? So <clears throat> I went up to... 
to San Francisco to do this deal. And I walked out on it in the first morning, so, <laughs> which was certainly a surprise to me. Uh, and the, the reason for that is that we were not aligned in what we're doing. And if you're going into a joint venture, there has to be alignment. And they were really looking to invest in two or three pre-NASDAQ listing companies. And I knew the New Zealand deal flow and those that was not what I was seeing. Um, but also, I was going to bring investors into this fund who needed a broader portfolio than that, whereas they had a portfolio of funds. So that was important. And then I guess, you know, and this is what all entrepreneurs do, you have to pick yourself up again. And I thought, well, I'm, I've got the whole week in San Francisco. <laughs> What's next? Now, venture capitalists are, are very hard to meet. They're very busy people. But luckily, there was one venture capitalist I'd met twice, so I knew him really well you know, compared with any other venture capitalist. And and I rang him up and said, you know, I came up here to do this joint venture, which I'm you're not going to do, but, you know, I really don't know how to get started. And he said, oh, you better come out and talk to me, you know, six o'clock tonight, so grab a rental car out to Silicon Valley. And then he, he, he talked me through it and he said, uh, don't partner with anybody up here because anybody who's any good is so busy doing what they're doing, they don't really have time to partner with you. And he got rid of all my arguments, except for one. I said, I don't actually know how to do this, so I need a mentor. And he introduced me to Pitch Johnson, who was one of the founders of Venture Capital in Silicon Valley. And Pitch became my coach for establishing Number 8 Ventures oh, and an investor. That's so cool. What, 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 was, <laughs> what was the journey like with Number 8 Ventures? Because by the time it was up and running, you were heading straight headlong into the GFC. Oh, that was a little way away. Um, but, yeah, the GFC was absolutely brutal. And <clears throat> so maybe we'll come back to that and just, just um, touch on the, the other, you know, the next business that I started, which was Morgo, um, having sort of rather painfully got number, the first number eight ventures fund raised and underway mm. before VIF, going back before that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I needed somebody else to run the investment bank. Like running two businesses was too much. And my, my good deal doer wanted to do it to begin with, but he didn't like doing staff and admin and marketing and a few other things. So we brought in an outside chief executive. And <clears throat> the first year we had Morel & Co, we had 12 clients and we took them all away for a two-day retreat weekend. And it was just fantastic. You know, sharing stories. They're all in quite different industries, but they have all these common experiences, especially how hard it is being offshore doing business. So I'd known that we should do this and we should do it bigger, but hadn't had the energy. I had a new CEO coming into Morel & Co. And I said, look, I'll give you this welcome gift. I'll organise this get-together of all these tech companies that I've, I know we should do. Because we knew we knew a lot of them who didn't know each other. So <clears throat> I'd say, but you know, you're talking about a development centre in Poland these guys have already done one. Or you're talking about doing business with the US military. These guys have just gone through the whole GSA process and they've got a really good consultant in Washington. You should be talking. And <clears throat> so we, we did our first Morgo. Um, it was about maybe two or three years after it started, Number 8 Ventures. And we brought together that for that first one 80 people at Wairaki. And it was just fantastic. It was the energy in the room was unbelievable. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so we that's that's where Morgo started from. And about about two years after that, maybe three years after that, 
decided to close down the investment bank because the guy running it again didn't. He was again. I had a good deal doer doing it, but he didn't like the actual running it. And it's like I'm doing too much. You know, I <clears throat> I want to just focus on number of ventures. So unless you're going to really you know step up and do the whole thing, we're just going to let it go. So we decided to close Morale & Co. People said, but you can't close Morgo. And I said, well, I can. <laughs> just watch me. <laughs> and then I said, oh, I'll do one more. And a year later, it's like, I'll do one more. And then I thought, you know, this thing's got a life of its own. And I'm doing it because it actually gives me a recharge as well as them. So while it was a lot of work to get it together, I always felt great afterwards. So we kept Morgo going on the side of Number 8 Ventures. What, what kind of stuff happens at Morgo and what, what's changed there over the years? And like, how do you describe it? Like a, a retreat for sea level executives? <laughs> what's that mean? We really struggle with how to describe Morgo. <laughs> so, and I've challenged a number of marketing people to help me out on this one. Uh, the best we've done is the tagline, which is courtesy of Andy Lark, uh, who was a, a partner of ours in Number 8 Ventures. And it's um, recharge, reconnect, reimagine. And for me, the first the first word in that is the most important. Uh, it's very lonely building companies out into the world and the CEOs have all kinds of challenges to deal with, often trying to wrestle with them on their own without good support. When they come together and, and share, it's all about sharing, <clears throat> then um, they get they get a, a, new bout, a new bout of energy. And that's that for me is the essential, you know, that coming to Morgo is your annual recharge. You should go away re-excited about being in business. We're very totally business focused. Uh, so it's not a, a retreat with massages and spas and all that sort of thing. It's um, pretty high energy. Uh, <clears throat> so now calling it a high energy retreat because I haven't found better better words for it. So that's, um, <clears throat> that's important. Of course, people love meeting each other and it is about learning as well as that getting new courage. So it's peer-to-peer learning. We don't do much teaching. We don't talk at. And and it's not for startups because we're not, we're not a how-to. You know, we don't say you do this and you do this. We'd say bring your experiences to Morgo and share them with other people. So you have to be underway enough to have experiences to put into the pool. That's such an interesting insight about the loneliness of the, the CEO life because they kind of act as like a, a fulcrum between the pressures of board and capital above them and then operation and staff and everything below them. And they, they're the, the, the single point where everything kind of converges pressure-wise. Well, don't forget the pressures of the market. Yes, yes. <laughs> Marketing <laughs> Mark- competitors. Markets and- can be brutal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's tough and they will all have their tough stories. Uh, so, And also we don't invite investors to Morgo, which has been controversial over the years. And there was a, a great sort of standoff when the Angel Association wanted to move their conference next to Morgo and all come to Morgo. And I had to go, ah, it's not for investors. And how could I put that nicely? Uh, and the reason is we don't want companies telling their glossy stories. You know, we don't want them presenting their pitch deck. We want them genuinely sharing experiences. And we do the, – the, the blurry bit is we do have some investors at Morgo. I mean, we're never going to stop Sam Morgan coming to, to Morgo. He's one of the heroes of the tech sector. And we also have some people who are very active board directors, but they're, they're like, they are part of the teams who are building these high-growth companies. And, and while it's primarily CEOs, we also have a lot of CTOs, especially founder CTOs. So Vaughan comes often. Uh, 
But Vaughan Rousel from uh, Vin, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Vaughan Ferguson from Vin. Yeah, now Vaughan Ferguson, which was pretty confusing. Uh, so yeah, we get we get a lot of we get CTOs. And then sometimes we get the CFO because the C the CFO wants to know why the CEO is spending money. So the CEO brings the CFO as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's um, it, but it's it's mostly CEOs, but other people who are very active in that senior team of building the business. And have, were you surprised by the way that it grew and took on a life of its own and became something you couldn't stop doing? Yeah, I was. I, I was really, but. Um, but I love it, you know, uh, and it's a, it's a real community now, the, the Morgo community. And the stories that have been shared there are extraordinary. We could be here all day with me telling you Morgo stories. <laughs> <laughs> but let me just let me just touch on that that third word in the in the tagline, which is the the reimagine. We started about probably about eight years ago. I went to one TED conference. Uh yeah, so I went to one one TED event and I really enjoyed it, but it wasn't enough about business for me. You know, I wanted to talk more about business. But the one thing I really loved was the science talks. And so I came back to New Zealand all fired up and said, we're going to have science talks at Morgo. And then my friend Helen Anderson was running the Ministry of Research, Science and Technology. And she, she already knew about Morgo. And I said, Helen, we're going to do science talks at Morgo. And you're going to fund them. <laughs> anyway, she did. Uh, and we didn't really know where to go from that, just that first sort of thought that we're going to do some exciting science talks. But I, this, so I'll just tell you, this is another story. But um, we were, we were like, we, we asked Morse who they would like to invite and, you know, somebody they were collaborating with. We didn't get anything from that. So we asked somebody at University of Auckland, you know, if they had somebody they were collaborating with that we could bring in and we didn't get anywhere with that. And we thought, well, we have to find the science speaker. So we were getting really close to Morgo. Maybe we were six weeks out. I remember this so clearly because I was actually driving on the LA freeways and I did have a hands-free phone, I assure you. And I rang Sandra Lukey, who was helping me down in Christchurch, and said, hey, Sandra, it turns out we have to get the science speaker. And we're really late. So this is going to be west coast of US. That's it. Not trying anything more complicated. And let's start with, there was this woman at TED, Catherine Moore, who talked about a history of surgery from 5000 BC to the current day, culminating in nanosurgical instruments. I said, she's on faculty at Stanford. See if you can get hold of her. So <clears throat> Sandra rang Stanford. Turns out at this stage, Catherine was only half a day a week at Stanford, got put straight through to her. And Catherine said, oh, did you realise that I was born in Glenorchy? We had no idea. We thought she was American. And so she thought this was great. And she was our first science speaker. And she's now a world-class New Zealander. She's very reconnected to New Zealand. You know, that's a, that's a segue of it. We love it. There's so many more ghost stories. Ah, that, that's so great. <clears throat> and, and with all those connections and, and all those, um, uh, you, you know, people sharing the journey and being in the same level, what kind of great um, meeting ups have you seen or, or people kind of going on to do things together? Yeah, most of it we don't see. You know, sometimes we hear about it later, <clears throat> but <clears throat> I know at Morgo last year, you know, somebody was recruited onto a board and people share fundraising ideas. Uh, actual JVs, I can't really think of any. But, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff um, happens at Morgo. Yeah, and you mentioned investment there. T- tell us about the, that journey with Number 8, having started, uh, kick-started Venture Capital here, got a fund through, and then the second fund headlong into the GFC. Yeah, the GFC was really brutal for anybody in early-stage ventures. I think there was, we really felt there was five years where you couldn't, 
was very, very hard to raise money for pre-revenue or early stage companies. We managed to not lose any of our companies in that time, but you know it's hanging on by the fingernails. <laughs> and, and we had one very supportive investor in the UK who did help us. So it's really just dipping into the same pockets again to keep things going. When we and and there's there's other consequences of that, you know, boards get tired, and you don't notice the change when it comes. So we were actually slow to pick up the improvement in the funding environment. We're all exhausted, but we did we did pick up, and within eighteen months, we listed three country three companies in three different jurisdictions, and then it was like get out. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we typically had to do a year of holding on to the shares before we could distribute them. But I'm really pleased to say that having gritted it out and it was really hard going. At the last two years I worked for no pay because there was like we'd put the money into the companies. So there was no money left. Um, but we did actually give our investors a good return. And given that we'd had to slog it out for so long, we're pretty happy. And so many of the same questions and things you were grappling with. Um, you mentioned earlier the first kind of share purchase plan uh, for a company. Still, that's very hard to do in New Zealand law. Um, so many of the challenges that, that that you've had over the years there, some of them are still here. But is this is the state of the industry better? Is is the capital markets are they working better here? Well, I think the venture capital market in New Zealand is extremely disappointing. There's there's what two funds currently operating, or maybe more, but very small. And we really don't have a venture capital industry. Australia does now, but we don't. We have angel funding, uh, masses of it. So I think we've overdone. I mean, there's, there's now some very sophisticated angel funding too, but I think we've overdone the the angel funding level and completely underdone. You know, the serious capital that that comes with advice and connections and ability to connect with offshore VC firms. That's the bit we're missing, the people who can do the Series A round for you. And I, I don't know why this has happened, uh, whether it's the New Zealand DIY attitude, you know, I build my own shed and I build my own venture portfolio. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing. It's a, it's a grow, <clears throat> outgrowth from, I don't know, share clubs or something. But uh, I think that is holding our companies back. And now seeing more, more and more companies going offshore for that Series A and often, unfortunately, that means that we lose the, the CEOs to live overseas and we lose then important part of the company. And I think companies can be built anywhere and you know, you, and you will have to spend a lot of time in market, but the market that's determining the location of a lot of our, our company headquarters now is the funding market. It's not the customer market. Having been through the journey with a lot of these companies, what's the advice that you give to entrepreneurs? You know, I heard Melanie uh, Perkins from Canva answer this question recently, and I thought her answer was fantastic. You know, she said, I'm actually glad I didn't know anything because I don't think I'd have done it. (laughs) So, you know, everybody faces new challenges. So actually putting it together with another piece of advice that I heard from a a British entrepreneur a couple of weeks ago, he said, you just have to get out of bed every morning and go do it. There is just like no substitute for doing and of course, you should you should network and get useful people who can help you. You should learn from everybody and you should test off one bit of advice against another because you will be given plenty of bad advice as well as good advice. So all you know, all advice is not equal. So I, I think really the number one thing is just do it. And how do you define success? What's your what's your version of success? I think success is very personal, you know, and it's it's what you want to do. 
uh, I think people who build great companies are usually built by are usually driven by what they're building for the world, not not by money. You know, and, and the money comes as a consequence of doing, making the best the best product or getting. It's not usually about product, but actually getting something into the market and seeing it make a difference. That's what's driving most people. Uh, but it it could be different things. You know, people might might have another goal, and and I think it's important to reassess that along the way too. I just had one of those conversations in the last week with one of these CEOs is up in the U.S. fundraising and. He was worried that you know his t- that he might want to sell in three years, and the VCs he's talking to might want him to keep going for up to ten years, and that's a misalignment, you know. And and I was I was kind of counselling him. You do a lot of counselling in this venture capital business, and saying, well, you've really got to work out what you're doing with your life, you know, and where you want to be, and do you want to do, you know, do you want to get quit of this business to do another business, or is this the big one? Are you going to build this one? On and on. You got to you got to ask yourself those things all the time. And for you, what, how do you define your success? Well, what I'm doing now is I want to do things I enjoy doing. And I've done too many things that I haven't enjoyed doing. <laughs> I must say, working for investors is pretty thankless. Having given our investors a good return in that fund that we dragged through the GSC, not one said thank you. And I. So you think, why am I doing this? Why am I working for these people? Um, I want to work with people I enjoy working with. And so you get back to Morgo, and I just love it. You know, it's a, so it's not about making money. It's about, um, for me, more goes about making a difference and for some of these people. And if I, when I see people go away with, with new energy, new enthusiasm, I'm just, that was it. That was what I did it for. Wow. That's magic. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us, Jenny, uh, Jenny Morell. If people are interested in Morgo, if they're the, the uh, in the senior ranks of um, big, high growth and interesting companies, how do they go about getting involved? Uh, well, just go to the website and there's a, you know, there's a form there to fill out. We, we want to know um, when people apply to you know, join the Morgo community, we don't just want their name and email address. We want to know what their company does and what they do and why they think that makes it a Morgo company. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much to Tina Tiller for producing and thank you very much for having us along in your ears. Cheers. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.